We have received your questions and lots of them. Today, we'll talk about what matters to you. Here's what matters. Live from coronavirus quarantine in New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbett. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. Those investment solutions include Mainstay's Income Builder Fund and Asset Allocation Funds, as well as individual solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of March 23rd, 2020, and I'd say this is a good time to say, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) No kidding. We asked our listeners to tell us what matters to them and their portfolios during this ongoing COVID-19 crisis. And they're certainly complied. Yeah, it's amazing. We love it. Thank you for reaching out with your questions. Frankly, they're so good that we decided to get right to it today. So no exclusive content or portfolio pause, just straight shot at answering your questions. That's right. Lots of questions came in. And so we compiled them into a few super short questions that I think makes sense for us to talk about today. Awesome. Let's do it. Okay, first question. It's really good, and I want you to tee it up, Lauren. Uh, This listener is asking us, how will we know when to buy? With all this volatility that we've seen, Thursday and Friday felt more calm last week. The markets are down about 30%. Is it time to jump back in? In short, no, not yet. Uh, We expect that the fiscal and monetary stimulus that this question cited that's being used to fight the crisis will fuel some cyclical upside when the crisis clears. But investor sentiment, economic and market data, and the policy measures we've seen so far don't yet show signs of a durable market bottom. And so until we do see those signs, we're sticking to securities that are better suited to weather the storm rather than, you know, piling back in at this point. So those securities are, you know, higher in quality, shorter duration, large caps, et cetera. But we'll be moving slowly closer to our benchmark over time, taking profits in those larger bets. But the market doesn't yet signal that the the time is now to be piling into risk assets. Oh, interesting. So how are you identifying the the market signal there? Uh, Is this a valuation argument or are you trying to call a bottom? You know, what are you seeing? No, that's a really good point. I think two things about the bottom. The first is that no one knows where it is and that bottoming is a process. Uh, So in, in terms of no one knows where it is, valuations aren't super helpful right now. I mean, who knows what market earnings per share will be in the next quarter or two as we have, you know, some circumstances of zero revenue or zero earnings. So price to earnings ratios compared to their historical averages probably don't make a lot of sense. And so we're looking more across, you know, what is the what are the issues that are going to solve the crisis rather than valuations when we think about investment strategy? Oh, okay. So what solves the crisis is that's obviously part of the the durable bottom that you're suggesting. And anyone who who runs a good process knows it takes steps. So what are those steps you're looking for? Yeah. So we have what we have here at its core is a medical issue. And so um, one of the first things that we'd want to see is a medical response to this issue. So 
social distancing curve control that helps bring uh, the number of cases in the U.S. and Europe down, that's one thing. Um, A workable vaccine or other medical treatment would be another. So that's one set of measures that I think would help um, investors to feel more secure about adding risk exposure back into their um, portfolios. Another will be the support to the economy um, against the economic impacts of this virus. So we've seen global central banks really stepping in, doing, you know, in air quotes, whatever it takes to support market functioning. But now we need fiscal stimulus to help businesses and households to weather the storm, to get past that zero revenue circumstance that I was describing earlier. Um, another thing that we could see is clarity around timing. So um, could government say, you know, look, in all likelihood, this is going to, you know, closures are going to be going on for four or six or eight weeks um, or, you know, anything to give people a little bit of opportunity to plan, even if no one really knows for sure. These are the type of things I would expect um, would, would provide a more durable bottom to financial market activity. I have a feeling we're going to get more into those three topics and the other questions, particularly around the more clarity and timing. Um, So I'll just move on to the next one, uh, which is related. Uh, This listener asks us if their client or financial advisor wants to add exposure to credit, where should she go? I'm going to start this off just broadly saying that, you know, we haven't liked credit for some time. Uh, Credit meaning um, fixed income securities that offer a higher coupon payment because they're just riskier. They're more likely to default. You know, we, we felt that investors weren't being properly compensated for the risk they were taking the asset class. And that's how we approach uh, the question about credit, generally speaking. How much comp- are investors being compensated for how much risk that they're potentially taking in their portfolios? So it sounds like then there might be some investors for which this risk makes sense, especially if yields have risen or prices have fallen. You know, is, is there anybody for whom? higher credit exposure makes sense, even if it maybe doesn't make sense in our portfolios? Yeah, I think there's two ways to to look at that. The first way to look at it is uh, what is the investor's thought on on the economic issue at hand? Uh, There's a consensus out there that perhaps we're going to have a short-term virus-driven technical recession in the United States. That would be one that's shorter in length than other recessions. Uh, And in this case, it would suggest that a peak default rate, so the number of companies defaulting on their debt, would only be a slight rise from here. And it would probably be limited to the energy space because of collapsed oil prices. Um, If that scenario played out, it would be good for it would, it would probably drive positive excess returns for high-yield products in the next 6 to 12 months, and so that would be a good opportunity for investors. However, and this is more where we're coming at it, if we did see a bigger and more sustained default, for example, if the impact of the virus lasts a little bit longer than we expect, this would potentially lead to negative performance for the asset class, even though high yield spreads are are much wider today than they were just less than a month ago. So what do you think then about the different types of credit that, um, you know, that investors have access to? So, you know, high yield 
corporate or municipal bonds versus like leveraged loans? Like where do all these fall into that um, default story that you're telling? That, that's a great question too. And, and here's where um, the second part of any type of uh, asset allocation analysis comes into play. And that's, you, you really have to understand what your strategic goals are or tactical goals are for the investment. In terms of high-yield bonds, uh, we, we already spoke about those, um, but broadly speaking, if, if there is a significant dislocation in credit and high-yield spreads go wider, this can offer a great both tactical opportunity and strategic opportunity for investors' portfolio for a long buy-and-hold investment. Um, leveraged loans, that will also vary by in investor. Uh, for some investors, these loans are more senior in the credit structure, which means that if a company does go, go bust, an investor can expect that they might have a higher recovery rate than if they were holding the same issuer's high-yield bond. Uh, but for other investors who are concerned about liquidity dynamics and potential volatility in their portfolio in the near term, uh, you'd want to avoid leveraged loans because they tend to be less liquid and could have a little bit of trouble with the whipsawing volatility as, as uncertainty persists in these credit markets. Okay, so what are your favorite credit picks then? Well, if an investor is looking to dabble in the yield space or credit space, uh, there are some options that we would be relatively more in favor of. Um, Short-duration high yield, for example, uh, offers an attractive opportunity at this time. Again, you still have credit risk in that space, uh, and nothing's a sure thing, but uh, we would prefer that over high yield. And then for investors who can buy and hold and capture maybe a liquidity premium, um, municipal bonds and investment-grade corporate credits are experiencing significant dislocations. And we suspect that there's going to be a lot of, a lot of issuance in the coming months, a lot more um, people taking on debt. And I suspect that there will also be a lot of central bank buying of that debt. Uh, both of these things could provide uh, investors with, you know, a nice opportunity to capture illiquidity in the market today. Very cool. Thanks, Robert. Yeah. All right, LG, I'm going to pass this next one back over to you. Uh, this listener is asking if the Fed has done enough to support money market funds and enough to increase liquidity in the market. What do you think? The short answer is that I think a normal investor um, shouldn't worry too much about it. So the Federal Reserve has stepped up stepwise, um, increasing its support of the market at every turn necessary, and I think will continue to do so. Uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Liquidity has improved, but it's still pretty hard to come by in some markets, and cash is definitely king. So we're keeping a close ear to the ground to ensure that liquidity issues don't turn into solvency issues. So I mentioned earlier bridging the economic gap uh, that, that's caused by this virus. Um, that said, you know, I expected more support from the Fed and Treasury to support secondary market liquidity, and we got a big Fed stimulus package this morning, uh, Monday the 23rd. So in general, I think that um, the Fed has showed us that, and, and global central banks really have showed us that they're ready to step up and improve liquidity uh, with, by all means necessary, um, which means, again, that, that it's not a major source of concern at this moment. Okay. Well, that 
helps us hopefully quell some fears of our listeners. Um, the next question is someone looking for an opportunity uh, for investment. They're, they were asking if they are better off in large cap growth equities or in convertibles. And for our listeners who don't know, large cap growth is a segment of the equity market where earnings are expected to increase. Um, profits are expected to increase in the coming months and years, whereas convertibles are a non-traditional fixed income asset class where the investor has the option to convert a bond into equities. Both of these have attractive characteristics for anyone's strategic allocation, but the question today was asking if there is a tactical reason to be in one or the other. So what do you think? Is there a tactical reason? I could probably make a tactical reason for both. <laughs> um, but I think, it, again, it depends on the investor's goals and circumstances. Uh, you know, these two asset classes really aren't comparable. They have very different um, drivers or sources of return in a portfolio. Uh, large cap growth is really equity risk. And it's really a segment of the equity market that tends to do well when the the economy is growing, but maybe the prospect for all companies is not equal. So investors, you know, when growth is 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 scarce, investors tend to go for for growth equities. That's usually the tactical environment for uh, these securities. Over the long term, uh, an allocation to large cap growth makes a lot of sense for an investor. But in the near term, with no bottom in sight, persistent volatility, and a lot of uncertainty around what companies are going to make it through this environment, I think buying the whole large cap growth segment as a whole might not be a great tactical play for the portfolio. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's, uh, um, you know, We've been talking about is it time to pile back into risk assets? Large cap growth is one of them, probably not the time, but again, longer term makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Convertible bonds, on the other hand, tend to be a good tool to help a portfolio manage with volatility. Um, in this case, however, though, they haven't really performed the way we would expect them to perform looking at historical analogs, and that has something to do with uh, the makeup of the convertible bond market. Um, these names are typically the, – the names of issuers of convertible bonds are typically smaller to medium-sized companies. Uh, and and you've heard it before on this program, both you and I have talked about it, that we don't really like small and mid-sized companies because uh, they have more leverage, um, their profit margins are lower, and they're more sensitive to changes in the underlying economy. Uh, so that combination is, has led convertible bonds to um, not provide as much downside protection as they have historically provided. Um, and, and looking ahead, uh, convertibles offer a great strategic allocation if it's sourced from equity risk. So we've looked at a uh, 60-40 bond portfolio, and we've shown that by taking historically – by taking some of that equity risk and allocating it to convertible bonds, um, you've historically improved a portfolio's risk and return metrics. That's a lot of good stuff, Robert. Thank you. Yeah. So we have one more question, just for good measure. 
And this listener was asking us about the credit markets more broadly. Um, they noted that we've been saying that the differ differentiator between a temporary or even severe longer-lasting crisis is the situation in credit markets. LG, what are they asking and, and how are things looking? Yeah, so th this question gets at the root of some of the things we've talked about in early episodes about the virus impact, which is that typically in a pandemic outbreak like the one we're seeing would have a severe economic impact, but a very short one. And so the question is, will that be the case this time or will dislocations that we're seeing across markets, but specifically in credit markets, uh, make that impact uh, more pronounced, more severe. And so what we've been watching really closely are, you know, are companies getting the financing they need to last the next month or two or however long it takes to get past the virus? And the answer to that is uh, we certainly hope so. Um, that's one of the reasons why we're hoping for a comprehensive fiscal package um, from the U.S. government to help companies and households to bridge that gap because the, the impact is quite severe. We're also closely monitoring the private credit space because a lot of activity, uh, a lot of company financing happens there. And so there we've seen companies certainly start to hoard cash where they can and pull down on their revolving credit lines um, and, and take this, this risk very seriously uh, because they don't have revenue in the short term. But so far, we haven't seen that transition from this is really bad now to this could be really bad for quite a long period of time. And so I would say, um, no, not yet. We don't have a credit crisis on our hands yet, but it is. We, but we still very much have credit risk. And so it's one of the reasons why we're not risk on in our own portfolios um, and that we're um, still being cautious until we see uh, things move in that direction. That's a great point. Um, thank you for that answer. Before we go, here are the key things to watch for this week. So it's been interesting, as I've been talking to journalists in the past week or so, it seems that investors have gotten the message that economic data just isn't going to be a great input for investment policy for the next several months. That said, I do think two data points matter this week a lot. And Robert, I'd be interested in your perspective if you think one's more important. But the first is that we will get flash uh, PMI surveys, these fast-moving business surveys for the U.S. and some other countries on Tuesday. And I think it could give early clues as to the extent of the economic impact of the virus outbreak. Investors will be benchmarking these against China's experience. And um, so just it could be interesting. Um, and then we also on Thursday have unemployment claims coming out, and they are likely to soar. They ticked up pretty meaningfully last week to about 280,000 claims, but I would expect them to be much, much higher this week. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if equity markets in particular hold out against bad claims data, mainly because, you know, a lot of investors are talking about, you know, there's a lot of bad news already priced in. If they take that unemployment claim number as bad news, then that might suggest that that there's still some bad news yet to be priced. And so I just think both of those will actually be pretty interesting. Exactly. I, I, I totally agree. These are going to be great indicators for how much bad news is priced in. Um, but frankly, I'm not watching either of those things. I'm focused solely on our federal government and their ability to pass 
a large fiscal stimulus package to support the health of the economy and its people. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. So that's it for today. Uh, We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. Yes, please keep letting us know if you have questions or topics of interest. That's what we're here for. Yeah, that's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. And you can also follow our views at nylinvestments.com forward slash blog. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbet. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamots, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York, 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.